Welcome to my podcast, Everyday Sublime, shedding light on yin yoga and meditation. I'm your host, Josh Summers, and I'm a yin yoga and meditation teacher and trainer, as well as a licensed acupuncturist. This podcast is intended to be an in-depth exploration of the intersections between yin yoga, Chinese medicine, and meditation. In each episode, I will offer a 10 to 15 minute reflection on one or several of these themes. And my hope is that these reflections will support both your practice and or your teaching of yin yoga and meditation. In this episode, I'll continue with this introductory series on Chinese medical theory by looking at the relationship between Taoist thought and some of the central theories of Chinese medicine. So let's get started. Okay, so in this lesson, I want to start with a big question. What is the Tao? Or better phrased, what is Tao? Over 20 years ago, I remember sitting in an East Asian studies philosophy class back in college where we read the seminal Taoist texts. Back then, I affected a posture of understanding and pretended to understand what was going on. I'd rub the faint stubble on my chin and smile knowingly, pretending to comprehend the often inscrutable and frequently paradoxical statements found within these texts. Take, for example, a few citations from the Tao Te Ching. Here's what one translation says. The Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. The name that can be named is not the eternal name. The nameless name is the origin of heaven and earth. The named is the mother of all things. Or something like this. There was something undifferentiated yet complete, which existed before heaven and earth. Soundless and formless, it depends on nothing and does not change. It operates everywhere and is free from danger. It may be considered the mother of the universe. I do not know its name, but I call it Tao. Or just a few other ones. Another line from the Tao Te Ching. All things in the world come from being. All being comes from non-being. Or from Chuangzi. The Tao is to man as rivers and lakes are to fish. The natural condition of life. Now today, I remain somewhat befuddled as I was 20 years ago by these enigmatic bits of verse. The only difference being that now I think I might be a bit more stripped of my smug pretense of comprehension. If anything, Taoist writings now strike my ear in the same way that Zen koans do. To my logical brain, they often sound nonsensical, shrouded in paradox. But in a way, they raise a kind of question or contemplation that I think is meant to open the mind to something beyond its narrowed view of things, a view that is often imprisoned by conceptualization and differentiation. I now find the verse of these ancients to be engaging, and even, strangely, somewhat comforting. They point me in a way that is difficult to articulate and probably impossible to succeed at articulating into the humbling limitations of rational knowledge and into an encounter with the ineffable mystery that suffuses and embraces all things. But here, in this lesson, far from offering an exhaustive exploration of Taoism and Taoist thought, I hope to tease out some specific themes 
that were developed by Taoists, themes that then became integrated into a medical model that developed into what's called traditional Chinese medicine. But before I go further, I need to issue a caveat or two of sorts. Within Taoism, that is, the term that refers to a religious philosophical tradition that developed out of naturalistic schools of philosophy in ancient China, I often find that precision of description and explanation is missing, and it's missing for intentional reasons. As the Tao Te Ching proclaims, the Tao that can be named is not the eternal Tao, thus rendering any attempt to articulate its meaning to be doomed to failure from the start. So rather than mincing words to communicate their understanding, the Taoists favored images, poetry, and metaphor. As Robert Svoboda and Arnie Laid note in their wonderful book, Tao and Dharma, Chinese Medicine and Ayurveda, quote, the terms Tao, yin and yang, are images fashioned by the ancient Chinese sages to describe their insights into reality. This love of imagery with a parallel affinity for vagueness and economy of words is reflected in all the classics and in the Chinese pictographic writing system itself, end quote. So imagery, affinity for vagueness, and economy of words all implicitly recognize the limitations of conceptualization itself and the language that enshrines those concepts. So while acknowledging the inherent limitations of language, I'll now nevertheless spill some proverbial ink here in an effort to shed light on the thought world that gave rise to the corpus of Chinese medicine and how that thought world can begin to inform one's practice of yin and yang yoga. The word Tao literally translates as path, but is often rendered more poetically as, quote, the way. But to limit the Tao simply to the way, or as a means to something, misses a crucial aspect of the Tao that is eternally and always already complete. It follows then that the Tao is both the culmination of a path, as well as the path to that culmination. And inevitably the Tao is the inseparable union of the two. In his book, Yin and Yang of Life, Joseph Kim describes it like this, quote, Tao is the beginning and the end, one thing and all things. It is the cause and effect, existence and non-existence, the tangible and the intangible, the concrete and the abstract, what is known and what is unknown, the past, present, and future, space, time, and what lies beyond. Tao is the principle that guides all things, and yet there is nothing fixed about it. Since the only constant in the universe is change, the only absolute of Tao is that it is always changing. End quote. Said it in a slightly different way, the Tao is the source and the path to that source, and it is the source to which all paths return. Okay, so how can we translate some of these rather abstruse utterances into ways of approaching our practice in life? Well, a commonly quoted passage from chapter 42 of the Tao Te Ching is suggestive of how to begin approaching this application. Here's the passage. The Tao produced the one, the one produced the two, the two produced the three, and the three produced the 10,000 things. The 10,000 things carry the yin and embrace the yang, and through the blending of qi, they achieve harmony. Here, 
in this very short passage, we have a snapshot of Taoist cosmology. First, we see how Taoists identified two aspects of Tao, its unmanifest or formless dimension and its manifest visible or form dimension in the world. From the passage which I just read, the Tao that produced the one refers to these two dimensions. The Tao that is spoken of here is the unmanifest Tao. While inaccurate to call it an it, the unmanifest Tao refers to the void or emptiness or non-active formlessness. And it's from this that all manifestation arises and returns. Again, Svoboda and Laid explain in their book Tao and Dharma, quote, In the Taoist view, the word Tao is used to denote the all-embracing first principle, the eternal primordial source, also called the void, as well as the potential from which all things arise. End quote. But the one, the primordial one, that the Tao produces is also none other than the Tao. But here, the one now refers to its characteristic of primordial oneness, first manifestation, or an interconnection of all things. That is the manifest nature of the Tao, as opposed to its void and empty nature. This one, or capital O-1, is often called the supreme ultimate, and it is represented by the Taiji symbol, also known as the yin-yang symbol. This Taiji symbol, according to Kim, is meant to convey a, quote, more concrete embodiment of the Tao. It is the symbol that represents the unity, oneness, and totality of the universe. It is the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. It is the undifferentiated totality, end quote. Okay, so we can see from the start that the Tao refers to a primordial emptiness and fullness and their inseparable union. As promised, here we have paradox from the very beginning. But hang in there with me. The next line of this chapter 42 of the Tao Te Ching says, The one produced the two. And this refers to this supreme totality giving rise to dualistic experience to an endless dance of complementary oppositions, or to a dynamic flow of pairs, otherwise known as yin and yang. I'll have much more to say about yin and yang in the next lesson, but for now, I'll simply continue with an exploration of this passage from the Tao Te Ching. The next line reads, The two produced the three. Some say that this third element that is now introduced, i.e. the two producing the three, that this third element refers to qi itself. This qi is a pervasive energy found throughout the entire manifest cosmos. Qi refers to a kind of life force analogous to prana from Indian energetics when it's referenced in the body. But to say that all qi is life force would be somewhat misleading if not incorrect. The Taoists believe that qi arises from the primordial tension between yin and yang in the universe, and that the entire universe is pervaded by different qualities, aggregations, and textures of qi. Again, much more will be said of this when we come to the lesson on qi itself. But for now, one interpretation is that qi is the third element produced by the complementary polarity of yin and yang in the universe. But there are other interpretations to this statement, that the two produce the three. 
For some, this three that is produced by the two is seen as the fields of primal activity referred to as heaven, earth, and man. Here we have a basic differentiation of manifest reality into heaven, which is very yang, earth, which is very yin, and man, or humans, who occupy the space between. And from these primary elements of heaven, earth, and man, these three gave rise to the 10,000 things. That is the varied multiplicity of all forms in the world. For newcomers, this can all seem a little confusing, so it's important to highlight and bear in mind the major concerns held by Taoists. Likely of greatest importance, the primary concern of Taoists was harmony and balance with the Tao itself. The Taoists sought to achieve a harmonious position for man, a position of balance between heaven and earth. The means for attaining this balance is to come from cultivating meditative stillness by stilling the mind, emptying the mind of its divisive man-made concepts, and a direct perception or understanding of nature is attained through this stillness, leading to harmony, balance, and action, all spontaneously arising from such deep insight. Now this brings up another large theme of concern for Taoists. That is the relationship between the microcosm, or internal world of man, and that of the macrocosm, or world outside of man. The Taoists were keen observers of nature. They observed patterns, dynamics, and movements of nature, not so much with the intent of overcoming or dominating nature, but rather to live in harmony within those patterns and cycles of nature. And in their observations of nature and of themselves, the Taoists developed a view of understanding and relationship between the macrocosm, that is the world out there, and the microcosm, that is the world of man inside. And they observed how the play of cycles of nature would manifest in parallel within their own internal experience. Understanding and attuning to the world outside facilitated an ability to bring the internal microcosm into harmony within its own world, and vice versa, where greater understanding of the microcosm, especially through meditative insight, supported this harmonization with the external environment. And as we'll see in a later lesson, this parallel relationship and reciprocation of influence between the microcosm and the macrocosm deeply influenced the Chinese approach to medical diagnosis and treatment. The scholar Ronnie Littlejohn summarizes many of the threads of common concern that all Taoists shared when he writes, quote, the Taoists themselves preferred to focus on understanding the nature of reality, increasing their longevity, ordering their moral life, practicing rulership, and regulating consciousness and diet. This list, with maybe the exception of concerns regarding rulership, seems to have much overlap with the concerns of yogis, both ancient and modern. Many of these concerns involve issues of how to live a good life, or how to live a flourishing life. And the Taoists used meditation, energetic practices, and diet, among other things, to bring about an inner transformation or cultivation of understanding and a way to be in harmony with that understanding. So there's much to be learned from how the Taoists viewed the world and much that can be applied to our yogic practices. And as we'll see, core concepts of Wu Wei, or effortless action, or Ziran, naturalness, or Tao, that is the way, these core concepts can all inform our yogic journey as modern yogis. 
I'll have more to say about each of these elemental concepts of Taoism in subsequent lessons. But for now, it's important to consider the next big topic of traditional Chinese medicine, that is yin and yang theory. Okay, so I'll stop there for now, and in the next episode of Everyday Sublime, I'll continue this series on Chinese medical theory and take a closer look at yin and yang theory. I look forward to sharing that with you, as always, with insights from my practice to yours. If you'd like to follow along with the Everyday Sublime, please subscribe in iTunes. I left a link for you in the show notes, or you can subscribe directly on my site at joshsummers.net forward slash subscribe. And if you'd like to study or train in yin yoga with me, check out yinyogaschool.com. Thanks so much for listening today, and I'll see you in the next episode.